0: daily inspiration podcast on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. And with us right now, we've got Callum Lang. And uh, Callum, you're in Singapore, and you are the CEO of MBH. Uh, and you're found on the web at mbhcorporation.com. Callum, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Ah, It's my pleasure, Justin. I'm looking forward to it.
0: So this is kind of an interesting concept. Um, can you kind of explain what MBH does? Um, this is going to be something that I think is going to be rather applicable to uh, a lot of folks in our audience um, to kind of play around with this concept, this idea.
1: Yeah, so it basically came about trying to solve a problem that myself and my business ha- business partner had as business owners ourselves we had built successful companies and our peers all owned successful small businesses and we realized that while there's a lot of talk about getting started and building businesses there's not actually a lot of information about what happens on the tail end of that equation and um, what we were seeing with ourselves and with our peers was a lot of people end up just selling their company by default, to a bigger player in the industry. So right. the most common exit is a trade sale. Um, and in our experience and in the experience of our friends, it very rarely worked out well. Uh, you know, our, the, the problem with us entrepreneurs is we're not very good employees. We, we don't take direction well from <laughs> other people, especially especially when it comes to what? our own business. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to imagine. Um, but uh, yeah look most of these trade sales are structured as a 3 year or a 5 year earnout and mm-hmm. and what we were seeing was most of the time you end up spending 6 or 12 months fighting with your new overlords trying yes, to protect right. your staff and customers and then you either get fired or you quit in disgust uh, leaving a lot of the deal on the table and so yeah, my business partner one day said, look, this is, this is nuts. There's got to be a smarter way of doing this. Let's design the perfect holding company. Um, and so that's in effect what we do is we create publicly listed vehicles exclusively for the use of good, well-run, profitable small businesses. Um, and I think the biggest distinction is they're not for sale. Uh, they, these companies are looking to carry on running, doing what they do. They like their clients. They like their staff. Not Not all the time, of course, but uh, for for the most part, they they like what they're doing, but they know that if they back into ours, so basically what happens is they swap their private stock for public stock and it's a perpetual earn in. So the more profit they contribute to the holding company, the more stock they earn over time, but they keep full operational control over their business. So it's their hiring and firing, it's their culture, it's their brand. Um, And that's really, really important. But it also means that now they can leverage off the balance sheet of the PLC. So when they go and pitch for business, they now Mm -hmm. can tick those procurement boxes, which gives them access to much, much bigger contracts. Um, And they also find themselves in part of a group of other like-minded individuals. so successful business owners from around the world, different industries that have a vested interest in their success. And, and, you know, it can be quite a lonely job being a small business owner. Most of the companies that we work with are 20, 30 years old. And uh, the, you know the founders have done everything. They've carried it all on their shoulders for all that time. So yeah. it's quite nice just to be able to, to bounce ideas off other people. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a pretty, it's the, the way we've put it together, we think is unique. We haven't seen anyone else doing it. I think all the elements of it have been done many times before. I mean, famously Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway before they got quite so big, but 30, 40 years ago, well-run family owned businesses wanted to be acquired by Berkshire Hathaway because Warren had a reputation of not messing around not interfering with those businesses and mm-hmm. the the mbh in our name actually stands for multiple business holdings but we've been rechristened by some in the press as mini berkshire hathaway <laughs> uh, with, with an <laughs> e- emphasis on mini i i hate yeah. it <laughs> so, so, yeah, so help that's
0: me that's understand cool. this a little bit just in terms of the advantages um Ooh. so so here's kind of, you know, and, and and to your point, you're absolutely correct. I have interviewed now, you know, over 400 people. Uh, and there have been several occasions where uh, I've talked to people that have taken exits, mergers, acqu- you know, some sort of bigger fish comes in and now they're a part of a bigger entity. Uh, one I can think of in particular, and it was just, yeah, she cashed out, but, and she was you know, obligated to stay on board and, you know, privately she's like, Josh, it's a nightmare. I hate it. And I've got big bosses now. They're constantly telling me what to do and it's just not fun. And yeah. um, so I, I'm, but I, I'm, and, and I'd like to address that a little bit more later um, just in terms of like personality and kind of what life is like, um, you know, under a scenario where, you know, you've assisted in that. Um, but I'm curious, again, uh, you know, maybe advantages to why, you know, if if we're a company, we're doing great seven figure uh, income, you know, what would be the um, motivation or the incentive from the founder? Yeah.
1: Uh, what's what's really interesting is about this so the, the particular group that we've got at the moment mbh we are coming up to our two-year listing anniversary as of today we've got 14 companies in the group so we're adding about uh, one a month um and i would say each one has joined for a different reason uh, which is kind of uh, u- unique it's, so it's a pretty individual scenario i mean on the, the one that people I think assume is the most obvious is liquidity look if you've got a this seven figure small business mm-hmm. um, yeah you're probably pulling a nice salary you're getting decent dividends on the on the good years but compared to the economic footprint that you're delivering on the amount of value you're creating to society it's a fraction of what you're able to take take out and and really there is no way there is no liquidity in your stock so if you come into a plc environment if you want to sell down five percent or ten percent or twenty percent and pay off the mortgage you're you're free to do that and yet you still keep control so uh, liquidity, I think, is probably what people think is the, the number one driver, but I actually don't think it is the number one driver. Mm. I think probably the most common one we're seeing right now is around staff attraction and retention, being able to... A lot of these people, their teams have been with them for 10, 20 years. Uh, maybe the founder doesn't isn't involved in the day-to-day running every so yeah. much anymore. Maybe does like one or two days a week. And they're terrified of losing that senior team and getting dragged back into it. So Mm -hmm. by being able to give them stock options in a public Mm -hmm. company, that's a key area. Um, We've had companies come to us that have said, look, we've been working with, uh, in this particular case, it was we've been working with this government. Uh, We've done projects for them for years. They've now got a really big project they want us to do, but their procurement rules won't let them give a contract this big to somebody like us so mm. they've said we need to be acquired or go public before they can give it to us so can, can we come and join your group um, that was quite a short conversation I was like, come in come in because we knew it was coming with a with a very big contract behind it um we've had other companies that are they've reached that level and i'm sure a lot of your listeners have reached that level where they say you know what the, the next level for us is to grow through M and We want to do our own acquisitions. Yeah, you know, we've been in this industry for decades. We know the players we like and trust and would like to acquire, but we don't know what to do. We, you know, most people kind of assume that in order to do that, you need a huge bank account, an army of lawyers and accountants. Um, and so, what they realise is they can come and join us, and they can actually sort of build that empire underneath uh, this holding company and utilize all of our resources to do it. So, so there's a whole range of, of different motivations um, that uh, come in. And, and interestingly enough, if you talk to the companies in the group, all of those motives, and you ask them what's the, the single biggest factor, what what's key to them now, none of those factors would get mentioned. It, it All of them would talk about the power of the network, the, the fact that they're now part of a group, um, you know, they're, they're regularly conversing with other people that have a vested interest in their success and mm. and vice versa.
0: Um, so what kind of resources would that group bring? I, I, and I, I know you mentioned that just a little bit, but maybe illustrate that just a bit more.
1: Yeah, so look, I mean, what people are typically thinking of when they hear about this kind of roll up and and list type model is normally what happens is you have a ton of expenses in the holding company and you centralize the finance functions and you centralize the sales function and you you rebrand everything. But the problem with that is you go back to an accountant telling an entrepreneur how they should run their business. So we don't have any of that. We've only got two full-time employees in the holding company it's incredibly lean um all of the talent lies in the group of businesses so rather than try and centralize finance function we say look you carry on running the business the way you always have because quite frankly in small business often your cfo is the most trusted person in the organization Mm -hmm. anyway so keep working with that cfo Um, But look, if you want to share resources with another company, if you've got a fantastic HR talent and somebody's struggling in that area, then work together because it's, you know, because you're all on this perpetual earning model, it's in all of your interests to be more profitable. Um, So so you have some companies that are very strong in IT, some companies that are very strong in the finance function and help out some of the others, but it's done on a peer-to-peer level and there's a huge difference between me and you, Josh, deciding to share a CFO, and somebody above us telling us that we have to share a CFO, <laughs> um, because, <laughs> right. because the minute the minute that happens, we sulk and rebel, and the first time anything goes wrong, we we <laughs> you know blame everyone but ourselves because we we didn't have uh, that that sort of autonomy. So in this scenario, you make the decisions. Like if you, if you want to partner with another company inside the group, great. If you don't want to no drama it's on you
0: yeah uh so any can you maybe share a couple stories of of six you know a couple success stories of folks that you've worked with yeah it's
1: um i mean i think that to, to me the most powerful uh really example of this is what's happened over the last few months so we're recording this in august uh, 2020 it's been a, this has been an interesting last six six months and I, actually one of the questions we often got asked by companies that were looking at coming in is well what happens if there's another global financial crisis uh, and what would that mean to to me having shares in a public company wouldn't I get affected by that and my answer to that was well look I went through the last global financial crisis on my own I I ended up having to lay off 38 of 42 staff during the GFC and it was horrendous it was the loneliest period of my life if I'm going to go through another downturn I would much rather be part of a group like this that has that you know we've got each other's backs than trying to figure it out on my own and Obviously, I was kind of hoping that we weren't going to have uh, something uh, like this. But what was interesting is two two things, actually. Firstly, the fact that almost all of these businesses had been around for decades means that the founders had been through downturns before and they reacted very quickly. They communicated well with their staff and their their clients because they've done this before and they know that the biggest uh, thing you regret is not moving quickly so all of them reacted very quickly but all of them collaborated with each other hey look this is what we're hearing yeah. on the front lines and um i'll give you a, a, a very deliberately won't name the, the company in our group that did this but one of the companies in the group said look we don't want to lay anyone off if we can possibly avoid it so what we've done is we've proposed a 20 percent pay cut for everyone across the board in order to save jobs and it was very well received apart from this department and we completely mishandled how we communicated with that department so this is what our learning is from that and they shared it with everyone on the grid we're we're on slack and we have regular um zoom meetings and and so that kind of quick sharing of hey look this is working and hey look if you this bank is is processing uh, the loan applications very quickly at the moment. So these are the ones we would recommend. And that kind of uh, knowledge sharing, uh, often when you talk about mergers and acquisitions, the market is obsessed with synergies. Yeah, everyone talks about, oh, yeah, yeah. you get these synergies. Synergies look fantastic in textbooks. Uh, they very rarely <laughs> work, work out in real life because people are involved. There's, yeah, you know, there's, people and egos and other things going on um but what we have realized works incredibly well is sharing of best practice and actually even across multiple different industries multiple different geographies there's so much more that small businesses have in common with each other than don't have in common with each other that you can share best practices and and um and I, i think you know one of the things that frustrated me a lot as an entrepreneur is the amount of people that give you free advice. Um, because, uh, and, and you know, it, it goes in waves, and I'm sure you've seen this. It's, um, you know, you've got to have an app. It doesn't matter what you do. You could be an yeah. interior fit an aircon maintenance. Oh, you've got to have an app. Uh, oh, you've got to go into China. If you can just get $1 off everyone in China, you'll have it sorted. Yeah. <laughs> It's very easy to give that sort of advice when yeah. you don't have any skin in the game. Right. Um, but in, in our scenario, if a company says, hey, look, I've got a client that wants to take me into India, but I don't know anything about doing business in India. Someone else will say, well, look, we've got an office in Mumbai. that we'll, we'll set you up a desk. Go and spend three months there. We'll introduce you to everyone on the ground and then make a decision mm-hmm. because they don't want you to go and waste Ten million dollars on setting up an office and trying to force a new culture on. Yeah. So, so it's you you get very considered conversation. It's the ultimate mastermind group. Imagine like mastermind groups on steroids, where everyone has stake in each other's business. Uh, you, you don't get flippant comments. You, it's uh, yeah. it's really good good right. quality stuff. So, uh,
0: so Callum, so there, there may be someone who's listening to this and like, okay, well, this sounds like a dream come true. I would, you know, love the resources. Don't want to be able to uh, be put in a position where now I've got, you know, uh, you know, a room of board holders that are bossing me around, or you know, higher ups now that I work for, um, where I lose uh you know a degree of my autonomy and you know it's just in their blood like they they want a really great outcome but um obviously not everyone's going to be a good fit um for mbh so who who's kind of like your dream scenario best fit like oh josh if you could find me someone who's like this 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 and this that's a that sounds like a great potential match
1: yeah i think i mean it's quite self-selecting. We, we tend to end up with the right people, but typically we're looking for companies that are doing between one and ten million of EBIT. Uh, they're typically their owner-operated. Most of the companies we end up with are, are a decade or more old. Um, yeah, you know, the owner's thinking about retiring, but is quite happy to put in a few good years, and that they like the the excitement, the idea of being part of something bigger, and and doing that. So. The industry, we're we're industry agnostic, Um, we're geographically diverse, we've got some uh, great American companies in the pipeline, but we've got companies in New Zealand, Australia, Canada, UK, Uh, so mainly English language, English rule of law, Um, and yeah, so not not looking for an exit. Uh, you know, there's, there's other ways to, to exit, but if you're mm-hmm. still looking to, to grow, um, then we'd love to chat to you. What I will do, I'll give you a, a link in the show notes. I'll give a, a complimentary copy of my latest book, uh, entrepreneurial investing, which talks about this model. Um, yeah. so happy to do that. And then, uh, yeah, please anyone that's interested, reach out to me on LinkedIn probably the easiest and Uh, I'd love to, yeah, I'd love to have a chat with them and share
0: more. Right. So that that URL um, is just mbhcorporation.com. So if I'm on the site, uh, where would I, I there's a button here to get in touch. There's a, it looks like there's a video here, what we do. (laughs) (laughs) So good. The the website's doing what it's supposed to be doing. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And then, um, in terms of on the other side of that, uh, in terms of investment opportunity, what are you looking for in terms of an investor?
1: Yeah, so look, I, I think we um, we're as fussy. I mean, we're on the public market, so if people want to trade our stock, they can they can trade our stock. Um, but in terms of the investors that we really like working with, they're often family offices, uh, high net worths that have come from the small business space and so they understand what we're trying to do um, and it's we, we grow incredibly quickly so we, we kind of fit in in this weird center spot between being a fast growth company and a yield Company and, and normally you don't have that combination, but we've gone from zero revenue to 100 million US revenue in, in less than two years, um, zero to 10 million EBIT. We've issued a, a dividend in our first year, uh, which is pretty much unheard of for, for a small cap listed mm-hmm. stock. Um, and we're just getting warmed up. Uh, you know, this is this is uh, you know, this is the, the entry game for us. Um, so, so we like investors that have a little bit of, of patience. Um, you know, we're a small cap with a lot of news. So, typically, it's a fairly volatile stock. We've been up mm-hmm. at two euros, down at thirty cents. Um, but the underlying fundamentals. Uh, just keep going up and up. And we will only ever do deals that are earnings per share accretive. So the value of the stock goes up with every deal that we do. Mm. We, we don't do any dilutive acquisitions.
0: All right. All right. Callum Lang and your website again is mbhcorporation.com. How are things in Singapore?
1: They're good. They're, they're kind of slowly getting back to normal. We got the, <laughs> got the kids off to school. So that, that makes life a lot easier. And um yeah not not too bad it's, uh, it's a good place to be based.
0: and you've been there for uh what, in Singapore for 20 years or uh, I've been been in Asia for 20
1: years I've been yeah. in Singapore for the last 10 years I given the nature of my job I spend an awful lot of time on on a plane so I'm actually quite enjoying it this is the longest I've been without jet lag for a long time I'm quite, I'm quite enjoying <laughs> it <laughs>
0: that's great Callum Lang again mbhcorporation.com thank you so much for joining us
1: gosh it's been a pleasure